This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. Alibaba's chairman, Jack Ma, announced last week that he was stepping down as head of the Chinese e-commerce giant. The tech billionaire said he was interested in pursuing philanthropic, uh, philanthropic causes. His successor will be Daniel Zhang, who has been CEO since Mr. Ma stepped away from that position back in 2013. Zhang is credited with the development of Singles Day, the largest one-day retail shopping event in the world right now. Alibaba says that Mr. Ma will continue to be involved in the company and stay on its board until at least 2020. With more on Mr. Ma's departure and a little bit of his legacy, we are joined here in studio by David Sue, who is a management professor here at the Wharton School, as well as Entrepreneurship and Innovation Area Coordinator. Also joining us, Orville Schell, who is director of the Asia Society Center on U.S.-China Relations. He is the former dean of the Graduate School of Journalism at the University of California, Berkeley. And he has also authored 10 books on China, most recently Wealth and Power, China's Long March to the 21st Century, that being published back in 2014. David, great seeing you again. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Orville, great to have you with us today. Pleasure. Thank you. So I I guess, Orville, let's start with legacy. And and even though uh, he will still have some say on the company, what do you think his legacy is with Alibaba? Well, I mean, he is uh, a titanic figure. Uh, China, as I think uh, most people realize, is sort of a double entry uh, economy where you, on the one side, you have the state-owned enterprises, which are owned, run uh, by the state itself, and then you have, on the other side, this kind of shadow world of private companies that have arisen. Uh, and Jack is sort of the uh, figurehead, uh, the prow of that ship. And uh, as everyone knows, Alibaba has developed into quite a quite a leviathan. David. Yeah, I would say to to echo Orville, really, you know, first and foremost, early recognition of this entrepreneurial opportunity, seizing it, building the vision and the company to really execute in a face of a very complicated uh, business environment. Secondly, I would say that individually, he's really blazed a different career path than the kind of tried and true uh, kind of model for many Chinese. He's very forthright about his uh, various failures. He has been quite uh, persistent, seizing on various opportunities he's had to really kind of create his own fortunes. Now, one of the richest, if not the richest, um, person in China. And so kind of I think that's a different model than what many Chinese have taken. And then third, I think retiring early. And uh, having the aspiration to do something else to keep, uh, you know, his mind active um, and to really go into a different uh, domain than what he's and that rather than just resting on the Alibaba uh, legacy. So it sounds like you can you're even looking at him more like a, a very strong example for where China could be going in the future when you think about. You know, obviously, as you said, the retirement early, looking to do good for the community. Uh, that's something, those are a couple of questions that have been, been brought up, not only in China, but here in the U.S. and other locations. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, he's got, obviously, a tremendous amount of visibility in China, lots of respect. I think he has the potential. He's very well-spoken. 
I think it has the potential to be really quite influential on a number of domains that really exceed the business area. He could really has the platform uh, and you know the interest really in these other domains. He's talked about the environment. He's talked about entrepreneurial education. He's talked about other things that really has the potential to really make a much bigger impact than you know. Already, Alibaba is a huge impact, yeah. and so I think that it could even climb from here. Orville, I think he is a, a, a very sort of unique individual in China because um, he sort of his company grew up almost in spite of him. Uh, I mean, it wasn't his sort of uh, overweening intention to be, uh, you know, a giant mogul. It, it just sort of happened. He has the, the virtue of being able to speak English, uh, which makes him sort of soluble in the cosmopolitan world. And he's used that to very good effect, I think, by, um, I mean, he has a deep and abiding interest in education, in the environment. Um, and I think at the core of him, unlike an awful lot of moguls that I've met in China, who are very crude. You know, there's, there's, an, there's a kind of an expression, right? Tuha of, of the sort of, uh, you know, uh, base, striving, acquisitive uh, men for whom a, a lot is never enough. And, and that is not quite Jack Mines. Like, um, I've known him for a long, long time. And he's always had a kind of a bifurcation between. Uh, you know, his drive, obviously, to, 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 to create a company, but also to sort of retire, to to pull back, to find a community where people think and do uh, rather than just uh, uh, become wealthier and, and, and become the titans of management. So there's always been that kind of fundamental divide in his personality. That's, and I think now we see it sort of resolving as he's, you know, getting older he's decided, okay, that's enough. Uh, and now I'm going to start doing something else. And I think his philanthropy will be important to him. And I think he's someone who will not only be of consequence in China, but will help China be of consequence in the world, because he can play on the global stage, whereas many of the sort of other moguls, you know, Wang Jianlin, you know, Chen Feng from Hainan, Wang Jianlin from Wanda, and people like that, they are just of a totally different uh, uh, sort of uh, genus and species. But it seems like like his success obviously came at, at kind of the, the right time of where China is headed right now. We see some of the development that's going on and the growth rates, Orville, that that are occurring in that country right now. And part of that does have to be uh, in, in part because of, of what Jack Ma did with Alibaba. I think it's undeniably true. He is he is a kind of a catalytic agent that has helped uh, sort of uh, generate a, a tremendous amount of, of business and been a, a model for a, 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 a kind of a company on the private side of the ledger. But I think his move now is particularly astute because one of the problems in China is that the party, the Chinese Communist Party, never really feels tremendously comfortable with alternative centers of power of any kind. Right. And it's tolerated these big companies. But Alibaba is so big. And it's not that it's been insurrectionary or insubordinate or hasn't kept its relations with the party up. It's just that when push comes to shove, 
the party never feels easy about having that much sort of wealth and power on the other side of the ledger. So at some point, and we've already seen them cracking down on other moguls. Uh, people are disappearing. They're hauled in for, uh, you know, for, for scrutiny, for, for uh, you know, to, to be questioned, and no one quite knows why or what's going on. So for Jack to make this lateral move now before that happens to him and to his company, I think is immensely smart. 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is uh, at DanLoney21. You mentioned, David, a second ago, that he is very open about the failures that he's had. In fact, uh, there's a couple of times where I've seen comments from him saying that that's part of the mindset he has within Alibaba, is that to be a success to all of his employees, the employees need to maybe fail every once in a while. I think that's an incredibly important um, uh, lesson and it, coming from such an accomplished uh, businessman, I think that that's going to echo quite deeply into um, the youth of China. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more um, people go into this career direction as well, which I think is a a healthy move uh, for the economy. Orville? Uh, yeah, and I think in this regard, um, uh, that's well put. But you have to remember that in sort of the Chinese scheme of things, failure has sort of traditionally been viewed uh, as, as uh, a loss of faith. And uh, when you get into the political world, there is no culture of the virtue of failure because people don't want to look to appear to be weak or appear to be unsuccessful. But here again, um, I think you see in a man like Jack Ma that he is much more of a cosmopolitan person who's absorbed Western ideas, that Silicon Valley notion that you know, to, to fail is to is to understand something better and, and enable one to be more more creative and, and innovative. So here too, I think he is uh, very singular in that he is not sort of sort of the mired to to completely just in Chinese culture, politics, and possibility. As for the company itself, Orville, how do you view Daniel Zhang taking over the role that, that Jack Ma has, has uh, handled for the last few years? Well, uh, Daniel Zhang, I mean, he's a smart guy with a lot of experience, but he doesn't have the, the pixie dust of uh, you know Jack Ma. I mean, Jack Ma is the is not only the the CEO, but he sort of he he embodies the, the founder's mythology sort of the creation myth. So he's uh, he's kind of a, ma- a manager, albeit, right. uh, as far as one can see, a good manager. But there's there's a whole dimension that he lacks that uh, I think is going to be, be, be make it rather more difficult for him to, to, to even even approach what Jack has, has done. David? Uh, I, I largely agree. I, you know, he is, from all accounts, comes from the most important parts of the business to date, the uh, uh, kind of the the consumer facing e e commerce as well as the B two C parts of the business, but I think that we also have to think about the future of this company, given that it's presumably grabbed the lower hanging fruit, and 
there I think there's going clearly there's they're doing well in many different domains, yeah. including and financial, which used to be Alipay. There's a lot of, of innovation on their core businesses of Taobao and Tmall. Um, I think that, however, there's going to be at some point some slowdown uh, inevitable with those businesses and thinking about maybe you know who to compliment D- Daniel Jang with on the team in terms of these new areas, whether they be um, forward-looking, kind of cloud computing or AI, these other these other drivers of, of growth in the future, I think, will be, I think, in a, something that, that many analysts will be looking towards. As you both were saying that, my, my mind was thinking, you know, this almost feels like, and I'll, I'll let you, David, comment on this first, this almost feels a little bit like, under different circumstances, what we've seen with Apple. I mean, we obviously saw in, in both cases, Jack Ma, Steve Jobs, very well-known, very bright and, and illustrious leaders. In this case, as, as Orville said, Daniel Zhang taking over maybe doesn't have the, the panache that Jack Ma did, but maybe has a chance to do a great job. We're seeing it a little bit in, in, in Tim Cook as well. I think that's right. I, you know, in my last comment, I uh, referred to kind of new technological areas. Well, let's not also forget that there's a whole world out there. Yeah. And it used to be the case that we, we thought about China as just the copycats. But indeed, with Alibaba and others, there's um, a sense of really real innovation and right. how to kind of propagate what they've done in China to other markets, um, I think, is going to be another area of growth. But I, I, I do think that, you know, Jack Ma is always going to is is part of Alibaba. He's going to be on the executive, remain on the executive team. And, you know, as part of his legacy, stepping away from that and elevating the organization and the company beyond the cult of personality, he purposely wants that. And uh, he's also, you know, consistent with the humbleness. He su- suggests that others, Daniel Tang and others, are going to do an even better job than yeah. him. And I don't know if that's going to be entirely correct, but I think he wants to empower others to really take real leadership, not always just look back to the founder. And I think that that is something that is nice to see in an economy like China. Orville? Yeah, I mean, I think in a certain sense, you can look at Alibaba as almost a, a metaphor for, for China itself, that at a certain point, growth, uh, you can't just keep growing exponentially. Uh, there are kind of limits to how big you can get, and particularly, as I pointed out earlier, in a country like China, how big a private company can get. Then you have to start rationalizing your business a little more, and I think we've seen some, some of that in Apple. Um, I mean, this is an incredible growth spurt. And if they kind of settle down for a while and adjust to that and don't continue to have this reckless growth rate, um, I think that's not necessarily uh, going to doom them. I mean, how long could China develop at 12 percent? Well, now it's down to 6 or 7 percent. But even that is incredibly rapid. You have to reach a point of of stasis at at, at some point. And and that, I think, is the challenge in the next uh, sort of interim. But he also had to have, I would think, uh, a fairly strong relationship with President Xi Jinping and with with the Chinese government as well, Orville. 
Well, he did. And, and Xi Jinping was uh, the party general secretary in Zhejiang province where Hangzhou is. And um, he also had very close ties to several other people uh, in, in, the, in, in the government, as one must in China. And this is the great black box we on the outside don't understand. And I think people who do sort of corporate uh, analysis and due diligence and et cetera, it's very hard to see because in, in, in America or in other open societies, I mean, companies kind of exist and we know the regulatory environment. And yes, they're lobbyists in one thing or another, yeah. but they exist independent uh, from the state. Whereas in China, there is not a single company that exists in any other state but at the sufferance of the state. So you have to keep that relationship uh, uh, cultivated and, and um, uh, in balance. And it is extremely difficult to do, particularly when you get so big and so powerful because you potentially exercise so much, uh, so much uh, influence. And your, what you do uh, is of great concern to uh, any one-party system, which is what we have in China. David? Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add on that since I'm not really the the uh, geographic expert here or political expert. But I will, you know, may, maybe take this opportunity to talk a little bit about this the broader backdrop of, of what's in the news, which is uh, the possible trade war. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there was this meeting in January of 2017 between Jack Ma and President Trump in which – uh, there was what came out of that was this this discussion. Okay, we're going to create a million jobs yeah. in the United States, and that was recently backtracked in the name of this this trade war. And I think w this this becomes obviously quite a big issue, not for for both sides. In that um, the company Alibaba really needs to think about not only the you know domestic penetration lots of you know 1.3 1.4 billion customers inside China but also you know this possibility of geographic expansion and to the extent that that million jobs platform is being kind of dissolved i mean that number is a little bit hard because the idea was um Alibaba is going to allow uh, merchants in the United States to try to sell into China. So these are not full-time employees, but uh, still the issue of, you know, cross-border trade and, and free flow of trade really becomes quite an issue here with this backdrop of, of tariffs uh, on each side and this escalation uh, in the in the recent news. Well, and Orville. Yeah, and, I think that's actually yeah. dead on right. Uh, I mean, I mean, remember that a company the size of Alibaba, even in an enormous country like China, ultimately, it has to it has to globalize if it's going to keep growing. And so Alibaba and every other Chinese company now that, that wants to globalize, particularly in Europe and the United States, is running into some extraordinarily strong headwinds. I mean, we have CFIUS up in arms, you know, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. We have yeah. the, the new bill going through Congress, making it much more difficult to do mergers and acquisitions and invest in America. So there, if there is going to be a trade war and if there is a kind of a, a neo- containment policy being uh, sort of lofted in Washington, and there is, 
this is going to have an inhibiting effect on the ability of these big Chinese companies to expand kind of naturally and organically in the world. Well, th- that idea, Orville, of there being one million new jobs created through that conversation that, that Jack Ma and, and President Trump had, uh, what, about a year and a half ago, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not that was actually going to be physical jobs here in the U.S. or it was going to be an impact of some sort of uh, business relationship between Alibaba and, and other entities here in the United States. Or whether it's going to be nothing at all. Right. I mean, we've learned with President Trump, you know, very often a lot of sort of overheated talk comes to nothing. So, I mean, the, 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 everything is in the praxis. It's easy to, 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 to have some aspiration. But how you're going to bring it about is another thing. So I think, again, Jack's sort of departure from the boiler room of Alibaba and being right. a CEO is, is pretty well timed because the terms of the game are changing right now. And the whole relationship between the U.S. and China and, I should say, right. China and the world is on the precipice of some pretty major changes. I wanted to finish up by, by uh, asking you one other question, Orville, because I've seen two articles in the last couple of days about Jack Ma. One called him a visionary. The other one said that his success can in part be tr- contributed to the fact that Alibaba had a quote-unquote dictatorship a little bit to it. Where where does it does it actually lie, or is it maybe even somewhere in the middle? I think Jack Ma is a very unusual person and is a visionary in the sense that he doesn't allow himself to be constrained or didn't allow himself to be constrained in the way that many people in China did. Uh, on the other hand, there's no, it's undeniable that China has, uh, has, a, has a very restrictive trade policy and it sets up monopolies and national champions. And uh, it's very hard for other companies to compete, uh, particularly in, in information technology or media or even in, in, in banking, because China is not presented the world and particularly the United States with a level playing field. It, it, it's a mercantile economy and it, it's, it ropes off whole areas and keeps people out. And that gives companies like Alibaba an advantage, which is not to take away in any sense from uh, you know, the, the innovative quality of Jack Ma and what he's done. But it's simply to say there's a status policy with which we don't, uh, we're not familiar in, 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 in open countries. Great having you both with us here today. David, thank you for your time. Thanks, thank man. you. Orville, thank you for your time on the phone today. All the best. Cheers. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.